I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the movie lovers podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Well, actually, it's, a, it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome back to a very special episode of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. I am Drew Taylor, joined, as always, by Charles Hood. Charles, how you feeling? I feel intrigued today. How do you feel? I also feel intrigued. We're here to talk about some major Mission Impossible news, and we'll also talk about some other stuff uh, after that. But the big things, do you want to tell the people what the big news is, Charles? Well, the big news is that uh, the next Mission Impossible movie has been delayed to 2025. Uh, And do we have an exact date on that now? I believe it's May. The new release date, Charles, is going to be May 23rd, 2025. And that is a almost year delay from its previous date of June 28th, 2024. Yes. So how do we feel about this? I mean, I'm, of course, sad. Uh, I, w- I wanted another Mission Impossible movie in back-to-back years. It would have been so amazing. But um, in the end, I think it's going to be for the best. I mean, getting more time. I mean, even in the past, you know, with setbacks like uh, Tom uh, breaking his ankle on Fallout, when they got more time, they got they were able to make the movie better. So I think in the end, we're going to get a better movie. Uh, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think that, you know... Every setback, seeming setback they've had, you're right, has been an opportunity for them to reconceive, to plus up, to make the movies even bigger and even better. And I have no doubt after seeing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 that this new movie will be all of that. But there's a little something else, somewhat unconfirmed, but we're going to talk about it anyway, that the movie will have a new title. So, not Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. Yeah, we I have not seen confirmation for that yet. So, I don't know if that's true, but that's definitely an interesting pivot. Yeah, it's very intriguing. So, all of your Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 stuff, it will be a, a surefire collector's item. Be sure to hold on to that. I'm kidding, of course. But I think that it is very <laughs> interesting that we'll have a new title. So, you know, we love the subtitles of these movies. We can't wait to hear what the new one is although 
based on the reports from yesterday, won't be anytime soon that we get to to know what the title of this one is. So yes, you know. Yeah, I, I could go either way. I mean, I'd love Dead Reckoning Part Two. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you got a Part One. Let's give us a Part Two, but also mixing it up, getting us a, getting us a new title. That sounds fun too. I'm 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 open. I'm open to whatever whatever McCory and Cruz and everybody think is best for the movie. Whatever's best, that's I'm, I'm all for it. So yeah, that side of it. But there's also a little a bit of extra news too about this because I think we all felt like we wanted to see Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One in premium screens longer, and we only got one week that way. So there's an extra bit of news about this that I think is really great, which is true. I'm teeing you up for it. Oh, you're teeing me up, and I'm <laughs> going to tell you, Charles, that this release in May 2025 will have a three week premium format exclusive window. So that's IMAX, Dolby, ScreenX, whatever floats your boat. And you're right, we got we got the short end of the stick this summer with only a week yeah. of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in theaters in IMAX and they have shot things in IMAX for this new one, so it's going to be a must see yeah. in whatever format you desire, but Probably IMAX. Yeah, similar to Fallout. You know, Fallout had the helicopter sequences and the halo jump. Those were shot uh, with the the taller aspect ratio for IMAX. We're going to have a couple sequences, I, I believe, at least a couple sequences. Yes, uh, it's not confirmed, but I, I think that's I think that's what it's going to be for uh, for Dead Reckoning Part Two or whatever it ends up being called. Um, yeah, so very excited about that. Um, yeah, what, what else, Drew? Well, we love that May position. That's when the first one came out, really kind of kicked off the summer. And so I think it's, if it is the last one, kind of some nice symmetry there in terms of the release dates of that late May uh, spot. I believe the first one was Memorial Day, so this will be the week before. But Oh, this isn't Memorial Day 2025? I think Memorial Day is the last week of may and this is the 25th maybe it will end up being that date let me check for you uh yeah check uh, it out check it out it's the last monday in in may is memorial day usually is that right yes i believe so so that's may 26th so i think that'll be memorial oh, day this weekend, is memorial day weekend yes Perfect. so just like the, the the first movie that from way back in 1996 that is nice i do love that we love that um but you know, the other things that we wanted to talk about very uh, briefly was that the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 Blu-ray, HD, 4K, and DVD are out on Tuesday, October 31st. And you and I had a chance to preview some of the special features, and we just wanted to talk about a couple of those here. Yes. Uh, the first one is the editing of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which... We thought was very interesting. Um, do you want to talk about what that entails? Yeah, so they, they have an alternate version of the opening sequence with the, the Sevastopol, the, the submarine. Uh, and, and it's kind of, it has a totally different vibe, the way that the scene is cut together. And you can watch the scene by itself, and then you can watch the scene with commentary by director Christopher McQuarrie and editor Eddie Hamilton, and they talk about the differences and and why it worked. And also, not only that, but within the sequence when you're watching it, they do side-by-sides of seeing the final frame sometimes, and then on then sometimes you also see like a, a previs version or like an early VFX version of a shot. Or you see even f- totally different uh, takes side-by-side, or you see different coverage. You'll see like one shot of a different crew member and another shot of another crew member side-by-side, and you can see what they were filming at the same time. 
Uh, it's just a really cool peek into the behind the scenes. I thought it was really interesting to see the different lens choices because there were some. It was like when you see the the that chamber that they, that they the you know they lock up the uh, they lock up with the cruciform key and then they they leave and it's like big like kind of circular sphere chamber that they walk out of and if you look at the early version of it it's not as wide of a lens and then when you see the final one it's a much wider lens you get to see the full scope of that kind of sphere thing which is much cooler so it's cool to see like the you know the process of where they were earlier on with that sequence and then how it evolved and also just the overall cut of it because the cut of the scene is a lot longer and it doesn't feel like as much of a I mean, the first in the opening scene of the final movie, it's more action kind of right action and mm -hmm. and almost like a little bit almost like an eerie horror almost. But the, this has a lot more suspense. It's it's built up. There's a lot more build to it. Yeah, I thought that was really fascinating to see and also to highlight uh, the relationship between Christopher McQuarrie and Eddie Hamilton, how important that is in the way that these movies feel and look and everything. But yeah, I loved seeing the different lenses. I loved all the extra stuff with the captain and the the crew and how you found out that, you know, they were sort of on their last mission before going home and how they were all excited about that. And it was really interesting. Um, definitely an alternate reality version of the scene, but one that's just as gripping for different reasons i thought yeah it kind of works really well as a standalone but you can see why it wouldn't work in the overall context of a two and a half hour movie you know like you yes. need to get you need to get to ethan you need to get to the team you can't be with this its own story kind of at the beginning so it makes sense where it ended up but as a special feature it's really fun to go in and dig in and watch the scene as the longer version yeah and it's also interesting how early some things were in there that maintained basically through to the final movie, like that great opening shot kind of going underneath the ice and all of that, which was prevised and almost almost exactly like what you see uh, in the the movie. It's interesting what what stayed the same and what changed so radically, yeah, just in one sequence. So then extrapolate that out into the entire movie and you see what <laughs> a feat it was to wrangle this movie down. Yeah, it's a great peek into the filmmaking process, Yeah, in particular for these movies. And then the other thing we wanted to talk about was the, the montage of deleted scenes, which is always a special feature that we love on these releases. And yes, anything strike you about these scenes, Charles? Well, I mean, there were a lot of fun little bits here and there. I mean, it was, it was fun to see Palm and Isai out in the desert. Yes, Yes. <laughs> they were there kind of watching, it seemed like, maybe watching Ethan and Ilsa or something. Um, that was interesting. Uh, that was cool to see. I mean, there were a lot of just really gorgeous shots uh, and moments. And, uh, you know, it's all things you kind of look at and you, you think like, yeah, I can see why this didn't make it. But, man, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. We see a little bit of that extra car in the um, train at the end. We see. Right. Yeah. There, there's more from that sequence where they're going down through the older IMF kind of set up with all the 80s stuff with Kittredge and Carrie Elways. There's another there's another fairly big beat in the car chase, which is interesting that we saw that I think was in that CinemaCon cut that we saw that got cut out. Um, so that was interesting. What was the beat? Because there's one one thing that I thought was so funny and hilarious. It was awesome. It was so great. Is uh, Ethan and Grace in the little tiny car and they're hiding out in a little 
like shop yes like, the car is so small yes. that it can back up into this shop and hide there which is such a great moment i don't think that was in CinemaCon though i, I would remember that no there wasn't it, there's another moment where they're trying to get out of the car or something it's just another little beat in that uh car chase um but yeah i mean it just shows you that they were working on they showed that at CinemaCon in March or April, and it changed dramatically before the movie came out in the summer. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's again just a, a great peek into the process when you see all, all the uh, behind the scenes that that kind of stuff. And which also, by the way, um, did you listen to the commentaries? McCory and and Eddie had a commentary on that as well, and you can hear them talk about. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't. We got sent the special features on their own, and I was a little confused as to the filing. So when it comes out on Tuesday, for I will have the 4K and I will watch it in all of its all of its glory. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to hear them talk about these things and and explain why certain things didn't make it and yeah, it's 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 always always awesome to hear the two of them talking about uh, the the process. Of course, you know we love that. We love it. Um, and remember, you can get it on PVOD right now wherever you download movies, or you can get it physically on Tuesday, October 31st, which is, you know, we love that. It's a great Halloween treat. We'll be back with more after the break. Hi, I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director, Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter, Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the movie lovers podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Actually, it's it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Charles, you wanted to just talk a little bit more broadly about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 because we haven't really given it attention on its own, just the two of us, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we felt like, you know, we brought Bill Gaw on the show. He's, you know, our favorite critic. We love him so much. We thought that we'd kind of let him talk about the movie because I think we shared a lot of the same opinions about what's great about the movie. But uh, we were still hearing people say that they want us to talk directly about it. So here we are. Let's talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, especially because going forward, we're now going to get into some more legacy episodes. So I feel like it's a good time to kind of button up Dead Reckoning Part 1. You know, let's hear how we're feeling about it now. It's months from its release. And and then in, in the weeks forward, you're going to hear from some amazing behind the scenes people who worked on... I think it might be entirely the first three Mission Impossible movies, but it's it's really we have great great interviews coming up. I think you're going to love. So uh, yeah, I mean, how are you feeling about the movie now? This is you know 
October. It's it's months after the movie came out. We've seen it several times, obviously each. And uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling great about it. I really love this one. I don't think I love it as much as Fallout, but I've also seen Fallout ten thousand times. So we'll see how <laughs> how this evolves and changes. But obviously, the filmmaking is just unparalleled, and everything about the train sequence is my favorite thing in the world. And, yeah, uh, yeah. How do, how are you feeling, Charles? Yeah, it's hard. It's also hard to judge because we sort of have. I mean, like I said in the Bilga episode, like there's a lot of movies that are part ones. And they end on a cliffhanger that is not satisfying at all. And it just sort of feels like the movie went off a cliff. And you're like, wait, what? How You can't rob me of this. This movie goes off a cliff with a train. Right. However, it doesn't feel story-wise like it went off a cliff. It feels like a complete story, which is really unique and great. Because I really think there have been a lot of part one movies over the last 10, even 20 years now. And... This one, I think, really landed the ending. Like, it really got the ending right more than any of those other ones. And I think that works. However, still, there's so many questions that I have about what is going on with certain characters and certain things. And they're just, it's just a lot of how I feel about the movie is going to be affected, I think, by what those resolutions are in part two, you know, in that next mission movie. Right. So it's hard to be completely satisfied with the movie because of that because there's still questions you know yeah there's a lot of even things about ethan's past that were introduced in this yeah kind of new version of what the imf is and what the code is and the choice and all that stuff well how do you feel about that i know that's like i think it's a pretty bold choice to have now all of the imf agents who we have a certain idea in our head of who they are and who they were and now suddenly it's the idea that they're you know, so it's sort of like the, the you know, sort of a dirty dozen with this it, it approach with this, you know, and that's different, obviously, from what we, I mean, we always thought like Ethan was kind of fresh out of the academy and was like a, a do-gooder guy. And now it's suddenly like, oh, maybe all these guys, Ethan and Luther and Benji kind of have like a, 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 a dark past, maybe necessarily, but they kind of got themselves on the wrong side of the law and then they got, were offered the choice. Yes. You know, it's, it's a big change. How, I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, we, we talked about this in Rome. We, we went out to dinner after, after we watched the movie and we were like, wow, that is a really big departure from what we imagined Ethan Hunt was. And I mean, maybe that's just on us. Like that's, Something that we've totally fra- fabricated because they have not established <laughs> that he was, you know, he was a military guy that got recruited for the IMF because of his skills and, you know, espionage and subterfuge and whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I think it obviously really works thematically for this movie. We have two characters now at the end of the movie seemingly given that choice, one explicitly with the Grace character, and then Paris, if she lives, seems to be going in that yes. direction as well. Yeah, it makes you wonder, is Paris now going to also join? Is Palm going to be part of the team next time? Is Yeah. Who, who else could, could be joining? You know, Shea Wiggum and, and Tarzan are there as well. They're hearing about this choice. Like, who, who's going to be in the team next year uh, for the next movie, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, like, I have, I have, like... It's it work like you said it works for this movie, but it's hard for me to look at the the Ethan from the first movie and think of him as like a former criminal. It's it's it's, it's interesting, but like I feel like it's in keeping with this franchise because each movie is sort of its own thing. Yeah, and I feel like even McCory having now directed 
Rogue Nation and Fallout and now Dead Reckoning Part 1, but even those three movies all have a totally different vibe from each other. Absolutely. And so it's like each movie kind of works as a standalone. And so the Dead Reckoning story, you know, maybe doesn't 100% apply. Obviously, doesn't like MI2 is such a different movie than these other ones, you know? So it's like it's sort of loosely all one chronology but it's also they each work on their own and so uh, yeah that's how i kind of look at it in my head and so it it doesn't it doesn't take it away take anything away from me uh thinking about that and and just kind of almost like compartmentalizing the movies as their own thing like rogue nation and fallout feel very much of a of a a piece the two of them yes absolutely. but even the two of them feel very different in vibe from each other well the fact that kittredge is back and he's sort of alluding to this event that happened in Ethan's past kind of makes it's like yeah they're using that to kind of wrap it back up to the first one where he is kind of been I mean even the picture of him with long hair it's like it's so different than from him as the clean cut crew cut guy in the first one yeah it's really interesting yeah I'm very yeah. I'm very interested in how this is going to pay off or not I mean whatever uh in the next one um, he's also he's so cocky and everything in that first movie and it's like oh yeah maybe I could buy him then maybe I'm convincing myself now that he was a little <laughs> maybe scumbag he got himself in trouble before <laughs> yeah. yeah who knows yeah <laughs> and Luther obviously in the first movie had, was already in trouble he'd been disavowed so it's like you know yeah, I, I, I think yeah I, I loved when we talked to Simon Pegg about how he said that um, what what he talked about what he, he imagined as Benji's backstory of how he got himself in trouble that was fun yes which episode is that Charles that people can listen to uh, I, well we've talked to him twice now yeah but I believe the second time we talked to him which was the more recent interview with him which was it was going deep on Dead Reckoning with Simon Pegg that was uh, from October 3rd that, that was the episode I believe where Simon talked about what he saw as the backstory for Benji and how he got himself in trouble. And then he made a joke too about another way. I think he he made an over the top joke that he said was not not what not actually what happened. I think it was like he was using drones to kill a teacher or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's um it's really interesting. So those new dimensions of what the IMF is and what being an agent is is gonna be really interesting to see how that is applied going forward. Yeah, like will we see the process now of becoming an IMF agent? Which yeah, would be really cool. Really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's a great movie, and it played very well when when I saw it with a paying audience. And you know, I think that uh, you know the year pushback just gives us another year to launch some kind of theatrical marathon experience for all the movies. Oh, please, yes. We're always trying to make that happen. It'd be so cool. Yeah, if we could if we could do that, it would be fun to host something like that. Get, yeah. get a whole marathon screening session going. So what what so what is your favorite sequence? And is it the train? It is the train. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I would say the train. The train is really it really is. I think what Bilga said it was the greatest train sequence. Yeah. Didn't he say it was the greatest train sequence in cinematic history? I mean. That's a bold statement, but it's also like I think he's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really something to behold. And that that one, that's really interesting too because it's not an Ethan centered sequence. It's a a sequence where that Ethan is trying to get into the entire time. Yes, which is really interesting. Yeah, because when I'm saying the train, I mean the entire train. Yes, sequence. basically the last yeah, I mean, forty minutes or whatever of the yeah. movie. Yeah, but if I had to, but I also maybe if I was picking one moment, the moment that we've talked about in, in several of our interviews over the last few months, 
uh, is in the Rome car chase when Ethan gets in the new the Fiat and he doesn't know how to drive it. And then he, he go immediately crashes into the wall. And then the interaction that he and Grace have where it's sort of like almost bedroom talk of him. Yeah. You know? um, that moment is so funny. I just love that so much. So that might be that might be my favorite moment from the movie. And then, of course, it's the close-up magic in the airport. The airport sequence also is really something special. Yeah, the airport sequence is really great. Yeah, I wish there had been a little bit more room to breathe in that one at the beginning, leading into it, because we've got credits going, too, and Shay and Tarzan are introduced, and it's it's a lot of stuff. But, uh, yeah, this movie does not stop. That, to me, felt like it moved right where it needed to move. Like, that, the, the first hour, I mean, every, I, mean I, I mean, as we talked to Eddie recently, obviously, on the show, like, it's amazing this movie is over two and a half hours because it does not feel it. Yeah. It really moves. And we talked to Bill about that as well. Like, it really, the pacing is, is just out of this world for, for a movie that long. It never feels that long. But like to me, the part that I've, I've I, you know, the the big scene that we've talked about that I wish it slowed down more is is the the Ilsa, the big Ilsa sequence and what happens there. I wish that's where I wish it slowed down more. Yes. After that, and uh, you know, when we're with the team and they're they're kind of, you know, a little bit more grieving. I think I I would have I would have liked to have seen as a fan of the series. You know. Yeah, post Venice kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I also understand like they're, they're trying to make the movie for everybody, and so you got to keep the pace up, right? I mean, it's it's like you can't slow down too much. Like 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 Eddie compared it to Obi-Wan Kenobi in the in uh, A New Hope. Right? Um and and his his <laughs> he said it was 12 seconds that they spend grieving Obi-Wan. Um so, you know, I get it. It's it's uh that was a tough that's a tough scene. It's a, I don't I don't know that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, and that that's also a dynamic that'll be interesting going forward. Not having Elsa around, um, it'll affect the 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 team and also the kind of spirit of the movie. So I'm very interested to see how that that will play out. Well, it's a question too: Are we going to know? Are we going to find out more about what she was doing? You know, she went to Istanbul, and we didn't see that where she got the key, one half of the key at the beginning of the movie. We just saw a quick flash of that, and. You know, she seemed to know some things maybe that we we didn't hear about yet. So I'm wondering, I feel like the Ilsa story is not 100% done. Even if she's not back, maybe she'll be back in flashbacks or something, or or maybe she's not back much. But I feel like we're going to hear more about Ilsa or even maybe from Ilsa in some way. Do you think? No, hard disagree. Really? We will never. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think we've got we've got other things to to deal with. We've got the submarine out there we got to find. We've got, you know. The world is at stake, Charles. We can't slow down and <laughs> go back. I and- am excited. I'm excited. Uh, you know, as we, I think in our our old version of the show, the 200th episode, I think McCory talked about. I think part two being more of a submarine, almost a submarine movie, right? Like, I mean, I, if that's still you know where this movie goes, I'm I'm excited to see more submarine stuff for sure <laughs> absolutely bring it on the more submarines the better that's what we say here at light the yeah. fuse um <laughs> yeah i think yeah i i mean i can't wait to watch it again on home video and uh, again and again obviously and uh we should we should revisit this maybe this summer when for the year anniversary we'll say what are our thoughts now a year later yes. where does it rank where uh how are we feeling about the excitement for part 2 yeah. or whatever it will be called you know and i think down the line we're going to have more people who worked on the movie to talk to 
that we'll be able to dig into as as the next movie comes out. We'll be able to talk with them about that and in relation to this one for sure. Yeah, there's there's more to get into for sure. But yeah, we'll 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 be circling back. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's it's just we're still a little bit of an open ending, you know, for us right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> we need we need closure. That is for sure. <laughs> and we'll have to wait till 2025 but i think the word the wait will be worth it oh absolutely absolutely we'll be back with more after the break rise and shine football fans start your day the right way with morning footy a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game headlines match previews analysis interviews culture fashion and plenty of banter join as we track the thrills and spills of europe's biggest title races the business end of the champions league season a summer packed with international competitions mls nwsl and much more subscribe to morning footy Were there any other thoughts on any other aspects of the movie that you wanted to talk about? I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we haven't, we even once talked about Lauren's music. Yeah, Lauren's music is amazing. The costumes are amazing. The costumes really are special. They're pretty cool. Like, yeah, they're really they stand out. Yes. Um, in this one, not to say that the costumes aren't fabulous in previous movies, of course, but they're just they they uh, they really pop in this one, especially as we've talked about before. Palm's costumes. Yes, absolutely. And, Palm in general feel like we need to talk about. I mean, she's just amazing. She's like a, a lightning bolt through this movie. I just can't wait. I really hope she's back in the next one and and that she's just fantastic. She is. She's so great. She adds such mystery, danger. Um yeah, it's 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 really an amazing performance. Um you know, and I hope I hope she and Tarzan get to really shine in this next one because he he's a wonderful screen presence doesn't get a, to, a whole lot to do but there's enough there that you think okay well what else is going on with this guy and and how will that relationship with his partner played by Shea Wiggum uh how will that kind of manifest in the next adventure because we got a lot of questions yeah and everything with Shea Wiggum too is a big question mark with his last name being Briggs and you know Dan Briggs being the 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 team leader in the first season of the old TV show, you know, is that just going to be a nice gentle little nod to the old show? Or are they actually going to, you know, is is Jasper Briggs the son of Dan Briggs, and did Ethan Hunt do something to wrong Dan Briggs, or is it just going to be kind of a nice little nod and it has nothing? And is there animosity about? It? I mean, what do you think? Are they going to are they going to dig into Dan Briggs, or is it just is this? I hope so. I mean, that line that that Tarzan says about it's not. What does he say? You don't know him, but it is personal. Yeah, this it's a great catchy line that of course we're that we're it's bungling. a great Macquarie yeah. line that, that I that we I can't remember off, off the top of my head, but yeah, it is something like uh something it's not the person but it is personal or something like that. It's a, it's a yeah, butchering it, but yeah, it's great. It's but it is personal. Yeah, so so to me that you know, this first one is really setting up a lot of things that it has to follow through on with the next movie. So yeah. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how many of those things are resolved or how many things are going to just be left kind of mysterious, open-ended in the ways of yeah. Mission Impossible. So, yeah. And, you know. and another thing we have not talked about once is the entity, which with everything that's gone on in the news and everything with AI and everything, it was a very interesting villain to bring into this, uh, into this franchise. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I thought that was one of the strokes of genius of this movie was to have a AI villain that is everywhere in everyone's phone. You know, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, it creates this crazy new dynamic um, because they're so reliant on technology at all times. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just really, really fast and really prescient in a way that. The other movies haven't because, you know, the the kind of like Cold War stuff has been around for since the original show. So to have this really new cutting edge villain was a lot of fun, I thought. Yeah. And it's cool to see it come full circle after, you know, we did we've done episodes about Oliver Stone's Mission Impossible 2. And yeah, they they, they it's like as McCory always says that they always have these these like, you know, ideas that that don't make it into the movie. And then three or four movies later it comes back and then so this is you know six movies later it comes yes it comes back and and that that idea is still around and they, they they figured out a way to make it work in uh in this as as a villain i mean it's it's a it's definitely a swing and it works i mean it's 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 creepy yeah at one point in the movie a kind of physical manifestation on of the entity I forget what the char- the character's name is, but it was just a guy who was like standing in different shots like a ghost. Oh, yeah. If you look closely, yeah, McCory has talked about it uh, in other interviews, I think. I think it was the Phantom. The Phantom. That's right. And and he's still and there's still a shot in the Venice sequence where you can see him. Yeah. Do you know what shot it is? I think it's when Ethan and Ilsa are going into the party. If you look, I think, in the deep background, I believe that's where it is, but somewhere outside, outside that party. And and if you look in the deep background, you can see on like a balcony, a man, like it's like almost like a silhouette, uh, like a, it's like all black and he's got uh, like a hat, like kind of like a, uh, I think, I think McCory said it was a little too much like Kaiser Soze <laughs> <laughs> from, from uh, Usual Suspects, obviously, which he won the Oscar for writing, but they let that go and then it became... Uh, as these movies evolve, of course, they found the entity as the main villain and Isai uh, playing Gabriel, Isai Morales, uh, as kind of sort of the entity's minion almost. But also, like, I don't know, is he going to are we gonna, is he going to battle the entity in the next movie, you think, on some level? I mean, I, on some level, I'm sure the whole movie will be him, Ethan versus the entity. But but, but Gabriel, like, do you think at some point Gabriel's going to try to... Try to become independent. Seize of control the, of the entity. No, I don't or, think you know, so. I mean, everybody's trying to seize control of the entity. Ethan's the only one who's like, no, we just need to shut this thing down. Well, I think Gabriel just wants the entity to run wild. I mean, he calls right. him a zealot, right? Like, you can tell that he is committed to whatever this thing is, this algorithm. Yeah. It's a really interesting idea. I always think about how the entity found Gabriel. Like, it was like the entity is like, all right, in order for me to kind of take over the whole world... The one guy who's standing in my way is Ethan Hunt. Right. So let me just look into the background of Ethan Hunt. Oh, there's this Gabriel guy who's alive, and uh, he's going to be the, my ticket to 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 making sure Ethan doesn't stop me. So I always just think about like Gabriel like minding his own business, living his life, and then he gets an email from the entity being like, "Hey, man, uh, I need your help with this uh, stopping this guy from your past." He probably like delivered like. <laughs> You know, millions of dollars into his bank account or something. That's how he proved yes. that he was he was that it was was legitimate. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interest. That is a really interesting element of the movie that we haven't really talked about. Is this kind of physical representation of something that is so abstract, right? Which could have just been like so boring, but they really, 
you know, crashing a, a train and all of this stuff it really, uh, yeah. it, it adds the emotional um, connection that you would not get if it was just somebody on a keyboard trying to shut this thing down. It's really, it's really lovely. Yeah. But, and I love that story about, um, they originally was a set, it was a music cue that they were only using to identify the entity. You'd see the, the visual of it, you know, you see that kind of graphic they have for the entity and it was just a music cue from Lauren, which is a wonderful music, but they got that note from Edgar Wright that that wasn't enough and that there should be a sound effect. And then they added that sound effect that, um, James Mather, who we've had on the show before to talk about mission and Top Gun Maverick, uh, sounds genius. Uh, had a recording of I think it was like a recording of, of his like speaker system glitching. Yeah, it was a, it was a Bose uh, Bose speaker that was on the Fritz. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. We gotta get we gotta get James back. Uh, hopefully before the next one or, or or as part of promoting the next one. Hopefully we'll get we'll get him back again so we can get talk about sound. He's got to hopefully get our dogs in the next movie too. We'll see about that. Yeah, we need to get the dogs in the next movie. Um, <laughs> speaking of what is coming up, Charles, do you want to tease who is? up next on our show since we're in this in between you know phase i thought we should give people a heads up should we give people uh, a little a little taste of what's coming up a little tease um I, did we did we tell everybody already in our last eddie hamilton episode i don't even remember but uh i guess if we did we'll tell them again and or if not it's the first time um yeah we've got arthur anderson coming up next and he is john woo's he was john woo's uh, first assistant director like so he was in on the ground floor on like conceiving these big action sequences and figuring out how to do them for MI2. And not only for MI2, but also for Face Off and all of John Woo's American movies at that time through, uh, you know, he's uh, John Woo's now coming back with his first American movie in a very long time. But back then, Arthur had done all of them with him. And so he talks about John Woo's process and it's a great interview. He's got wonderful stories. And not only that, he was also a co-producer on Mission Impossible 3. So it's a two-parter, and in the second part, he gets into stories about working with J.J. Abrams and working on Mission Impossible 3. And then, should we tell people what's coming up after that, too? Because that's one of our favorite interviews, or do we just tease it and say that? Do you want to tell them? Yeah, why don't you just tell them, Charles? They've come this far. You know, if they're, <laughs> if they're still listening, they deserve um, it. <laughs> maybe we've revealed this already. I don't know. But Dale Dye is coming on the show, and he was Barnes in the first Mission Impossible movie. He's also, like military advisor extraordinaire who you know was the military advisor for platoon and made all the actors go through that boot camp which then inspired the ben stiller uh movie tropic thunder and he also worked on tropic thunder so he's got great stories about tropic thunder platoon all, all these different movies he worked on uh saving private ryan and it's cool to hear about him acting in mission impossible because he talks about how that was the first movie that he worked as as just an actor, not as just a mili- not as a military advisor who was then cast as one of the military guys. So it's cool. He's got great stories. He's really funny. That's a wonderful interview. Can't wait for people to hear. And more fun after that too. We've got some really fun stuff lined up. Um, some really big folks. Yeah. And um, yeah, we just want to remind you that you can catch brand new episodes of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you could like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to this podcast, it would be a huge help for us. And also follow us on social media, Light the Fuse Pod, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. We are on TikTok, so it's true. it's just me and Charles dancing on the TikTok account. <laughs> 
Well, now we're going to have to make a TikTok of us dancing, I guess. All right, we're going to do it. We'll do it. Um, <laughs> Has there ever been like a disco version of the mission theme? Because that's kind of what I feel like I'd love to dance to. I really like the 80s one the, from the 80s show. It's pretty Yeah, there's some good synthy stuff in there yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, um, also, we should let everybody know. If, I don't know if you told them already, but um, the first six Mission Impossible movies are all available to stream on Paramount Plus currently. So that's exciting. That's always good. Yeah. And uh, catch up on the first six, and then uh, watch Dead Reckoning, which is available on digital now, and uh, and the disc is October thirty first. That's right. You said it all, Charles. Oh wow! Yeah, great. I think that. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back on Tuesday. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Hi, I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the movie lovers podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Well, actually, it's, a, it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea.